What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Couple Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Matt Sunstrike and myself, Peter Fendera. This is a podcast with current health news and hot news topics. One conversation at a time. Firstly, I want to thank you guys for tuning in, for listening, whoever's out there in the live stream. Thank you for waking up this early in the morning for us. I know some of you California folks might be a little early, but we do appreciate it. Make sure you guys follow us on YouTube. Give us the, the good ratings on YouTube, Spotify, our podcast. Give us that love. And also don't forget to donate to the fight for the forgotten. Matt and I are doing the 4x4 by 48 challenge and all proceeds and all your guys' donations will go to the picnic people in Africa. So thank you for that. How's it going, Matt? Beautiful and tropey like always. In this episode, we'd like to introduce Chrissy Massaro. She is a CRNA that helps young professionals thrive in healthcare. She's a medical professional that helps to improve workplace culture, build resilience, and advocate for safe nurse-to-patient ratio. Chrissy, how you doing? Good. How are you guys? Thanks so much for having me. We're great. Loving this this weather in California while it's snowing everywhere else, it seems like, you know, so no complaints at all whatsoever. You're rubbing it in. <laughs> <laughs> Can you so, tell us a little, uh, little about yourself? Yeah. So um, I'm a nurse anesthetist. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with that term, uh, that means I give anesthesia in the operating room. Um, I've been a practicing CRNA for a little over three and a half years now. Um, I work in Philadelphia in a big city hospital. Um, before that, I was a cardiovascular um, ICU nurse. So I worked with patients who just had heart surgery. Um, and nursing was actually my second degree. My first degree was in psychology. So um, it was kind of a convoluted path to get here. But I, I love it. I love what I do. And um, I'm happy to you know, be growing a social media presence to kind of spread the word and try to just make healthcare a better place for everyone. And did you start in the CIC like straight from nursing school? Yeah, I did. Um, it was funny when I graduated, there were like no nursing jobs anywhere. And I applied to jobs in three or four different states, uh, including rural areas, any type of floor I could get on. Um, it didn't matter if there's a posting, I just applied to it. And I got really lucky. I happened to be babysitting for a surgical resident who was rotating through the CVICU at uh, the University of Pennsylvania, which is like a major hospital. And um, he overheard the manager say they were hiring. He gave her my resume and I lucked out. I got in. So um, it ended up being, you know, a perfect job for me in a lot of ways. Um, it was challenging in others, you know, starting as a new grad in the ICU can be really challenging. There's um, definitely a lot of uh, like a steep learning curve, a lot of, you know, of course, like nurse bullying um, that goes on there. But once you kind of get to the level where you're comfortable, I feel like you hit your stride. And I really loved working there. Yeah, everybody makes these these beams off like CVICU nurses. And every time you talk to a nurse, like ask where they work, they always say CVICU if they, if they yeah. do work in the CVICU. Do you think these memes are true? And like the typical CVICU stereotype is, is legit? I think it's absolutely true. <laughs> I, you know, a lot of the stereotypes, of course, like, you know, we can't generalize to everyone, but um, I think anytime you're on a CVICU, at least in any hospital I've ever been in, and a lot of nurse anesthetists used to be CVICU nurses, there's always a percentage of people who, you know, like are just like very intense in how they do things, um, very like type A personalities, and, you know, like maybe a little harsh with other people, or maybe think that they're like, the toughest or baddest nurses in the hospital and nobody knows as much as them because they run, they run the ECMO machine. Like, Oh, you know, nobody knows any as much as I do. But of course, you know, most of us are not like that. Most of us realize that, you know, obviously there's value in every type of nursing. You could learn something from every kind of patient population. Um, but there's always a small percentage of people <laughs> who are like that. So yeah. they're I mean, just very anal about like eyes and nose and everything, right? Oh my gosh. Eyes and nose. Don't get, I mean, they're just so, you know, you, you think about, I feel like CVICU and ER are almost like perfect opposites. Um, you know, ER nursing is like, like what's the, what's the sickest patient? What do I have to do right now? And they're just like putting out fires everywhere. Right. In the CVICU, you have two people and they're critically ill and you just, they're so sick and they're so unstable and they have so many lines and drips and you have to keep it all organized and be super on top of it because, you know, something can change in a split second or, you know, one line out of place, one small thing can kill a patient. So you kind of have to be really, really thorough in particular. Um, and it's just different goals of care, right? So that's kind of like what breeds these personality types or kind of like um, attracts them, I think, to different types of nursing. 
I've been enjoying that side of nursing because I've taken a few ECMO patients as a traveler, even though I'm not certified to take them. It's kind of like the Wild West now, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of curious. So did you use your psychology major at all or did you just go right after to nursing school? Yeah, I went right after to nursing school. So when I was, my first degree was actually, so my first degree, my first major, when I first went to college, I initially was a social work major. Um, I was interested in going into medicine, but at the time I thought like the only two jobs in healthcare were doctor or nurse. Like many people just don't really understand. It's so such a wide field. And I don't think I really understood or appreciated nursing at the time. And my family really was discouraging me from going to medical school because obviously it's such a long road. It's so much money, yada, yada. So I was like, okay, like how else can I help people? I started out as a social work major. I really loved what I was learning, um, but I really am a nerd deep down inside. And I really miss like studying science content, which is like so strange, right? Um, so I, for my elective courses, just started taking anatomy and physiology and chemistry. And I was like, well, where can this lead? And um, my anatomy and physiology teacher was a nurse practitioner. She was amazing. She's brilliant. So I started, um, and then I, I switched to a psychology major. That way I could keep my science courses and I could keep my social work courses and just kind of redirect it and figure it out. Um, so that led to me taking a internship in Mexico where I got to shadow um, different doctors and different specialties. And I got really close with my academic advisor who um, was a big researcher in psychology. And I really started to just pivot more towards the sciences. So by the time I finished, um, I was working as a nurse's aide in a surgery center and I discovered what CRNAs were and I had all this exposure to like amazing people in healthcare. So I was like, you know what, let me go back for a second degree in nursing and see where it leads. So that's kind of what I did. Yeah. You mentioned bullying, um, a little bit ago, when was like the first time or like a prevalent time that you really noticed how negative nursing culture can be or, or how prevalent bullying is in nursing? Uh, nursing school for sure. I was shocked at how mean the nurses were to nursing students. You know, I think a lot of it was just, they were really stretched thin, um, too many patients with too high acuity, not enough bodies to take care of them. And having a student on top of it was just one more thing that they didn't have time to deal with. So I think there's a lot of like lashing out, passive aggression, um, a lot of like belittling, you don't know this, you didn't learn this yet. Cause people are wearing really thin on patients and, um, and they also have a lot of compassion fatigue from just constantly being exposed to stressful situations. So I think that's the first place I picked up on it. And again, when I got to the ICU, you know, so many people there were supportive, but there were definitely people who, you know, fell into the other category, um, which I feel like when you're a new nurse, you just take it so much more personally and it's so much more hurtful to you. Um, and that's the time when you need the most support. So it's really paradoxical, isn't it? We, we talk about all the time that as a new nurse, you have to take that leap of change where you internalize everything. You take things so personally, even if it's your patient crashing, right? And then eventually, maybe a year or two, I think it took me maybe three years where you have that off switch, right? And this older nurse gave us like a gem and she's like, as soon as I clock out of here, I don't think about this place. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really important for our own like mental health, right? Because we need to de-stress, clock out, mentally check out and have other pursuits, just like what we're doing now, right? Because the workplace is stressful. So putting like putting psychology together and everything your major, what did you notice about the workplace culture? And we talked about bullying as one of them, right? What else did you notice that's negative and how can we improve that negativity? So I think Again, it really goes down to a lot of people not feeling supported and feeling really stretched thin. And instead of appropriately identifying and verbalizing what's going on and finding good solutions to address it, there's a lot of um, covering up of those feelings and deflecting and projecting. So if you're feeling insecure about something, um, maybe you're not happy with the role you chose, or maybe you're not happy with your job. So instead of you know, addressing different ways to maybe study more and become more confident or whatever the solution should be, or perhaps going to therapy, right? Instead, we're taking it out on the CNAs, we're taking it out on the residents, the interns, nursing students, right? Uh, other nurses. So a lot of deflection, a lot of just not really addressing the underlying issue and a huge lack of self-care. People are really, really proud of all the overtime they picked up. They're really proud of 
you know, how many shifts in a row they work. They're really proud on doing so much on so little sleep. And that's not really healthy, right? We all need rest and we all need to be able to sit with our feelings and kind of process them to be well. It's very true because I was, I was one of those like during like the peak of COVID, everyone's picking up, picking up overtime shift. People were like, yeah, I've worked like 14 out of the last 15 days. You know, everyone was proud of it. But then they looked like shit, like they came to work exhausted, super tired. And you mentioned like nurses being being stretched thin and not being able to properly you know, teach these new grad nurses or not being able, able to support new nurses on the unit. And I think a lot of that has, has to do with ratios, especially where, where like in Illinois or a state that doesn't have mandated ratios like California, being stretched thin is, is 100% due to ratios. Because if you're stretched thin at work because you have very ill patients and you don't have like people to support you, you're not gonna be able to support anybody else. And people get frustrated, they get angry, and they just don't like coming coming in, into work. So have you ever dealt with a situation where where like your ratios were, were, were unfair, but you couldn't really do anything about it? Yeah, we were really lucky. So I think um, in the ICU, we have pretty firm ratios, one nurse to two patients. I know that a lot of hospitals, when they were in COVID surges, um, nurses would take on three ICU patients at once, but I don't think that happened at our hospital. And I obviously don't work in the ICU in that role um, currently, although I did have to cross train and help with respiratory therapy for a while. But um, I will say that what happens is your ancillary staff gets really stretched then. So instead of having adequate CNAs to help you or um, you basically have to just deal with it, right? So we would have a CNA call out or uh, get injured or something like that. And then you wouldn't have the help. And if all of the patients are very sick that night, maybe other nurses can't help you either. You know, normally you try to team up with a buddy and do what you can, but if a patient's crashing down the hall, the doctors are busy, the other senior nurses are busy, you're kind of left out on your own. So I feel like that would happen, um, more often than I would have liked. Um, that unit has made a lot of improvements since then um, in nurse staffing. They've increased the number of nurses and they've added a resource nurse because that was an identified problem, which was awesome. And they have added on um, more nurse practitioners overnight to help as well with like guiding care because we would often be stretched thin with two emergencies at once and no doctor to help. So they've um, they've gotten attendings overnight and nurse practitioners overnight, which is a huge, huge, huge change um, and has increased the patient safety. But you know, I see on our step-down units and our med surge floors, um, you know, nurses definitely, they have mandated hospital ratios, but they're still way bigger than California. In California, what do you guys have? Four patients to a med surge nurse. In our hospital, it's six, which is still very luxurious compared to other hospitals my friends work at where they have eight. Could you imagine eight patients? People are sick in the hospital today in med surge. They, if you can walk and talk, you're going home. You're not staying overnight. So these are not eight healthy people these are eight people who really need a lot of care that's some scary stuff yeah it's super scary and like like, like low-key i'm probably more afraid to be floated to like a med surge or a tele unit than i am of like a crashing patient just because Absolutely. Having, right just because having more than one than two patients even though they aren't as critical like it's it's it's, it's like a little overwhelming for me you know because especially in the icu you're very nitty-gritty you you devote all your time and attention to those two patients and you're just working in between them right and now you're kind of transitioning to like a tele for a med search floor where you got four units and you still have the same mindset of like an ICU nurse where you want to do everything for these patients. And you know, that's, that's it's not always, always an option for you, for you to do. But my question for you is you talked a little bit about, you know, being healthy outside of, of the workplace. How did you, you manage stress while you were, you were at nurse and how did you manage stress uh, as a CRNA right now? So when I was a new nurse, I was really bad at it. Um, I, I really, it resonated with me, what you guys were saying earlier about, like how when you're a new nurse, you just internalize everything and you kind of yeah. just with you around the clock. And it did take me about a year to kind of start to turn that off. I don't think I fully turned it off until later down the road, but um, now I do keep work very separate from my home life. Um, what's really nice about anesthesia is that you have one patient at a time, right? So all those stresses of um, like two critically ill patients at once in the ICU, if the patient in front of me is crashing, I have a ton of resources, I have a ton of support, and I only have to focus on that person. There's no one in another room that I have to think about. So in a way, even though my level of responsibility has increased, I feel that my stress has decreased because I don't feel, like, feel pulled in multiple directions at once. Um, as for dealing with it at home though, um, after a stressful day, 
I feel very lucky. My husband is a nurse, so he's really supportive and a good person to talk to. Um, but I think having healthy boundaries with work, right? Not taking too much per diem, not taking too much overtime, um, you know, knowing when it's time to take a vacation. I try to take vacations regularly. When I was a nurse, I would like never take vacation time because I would feel guilty about leaving the unit. Now I make sure to take my vacations. Um, so I really think the biggest thing is just boundaries, just learning when to separate work and home and just give yourself a break. And it, it keeps me sane. I feel so much happier now. I'm sure uh, having that psychology major, you see everything that's happening in that workplace, right? Like the culture, just like we mentioned. What's one thing that you wish you could change in healthcare when it comes to culture? Um, and I'll mention my first one before I ask you. It's For me, it would be drama because especially seeing that day shift, night shift, as, as travel nurse, that's what we're seeing like hella right now. Right now, there's a huge divide between day shift and night shift and we're seeing the cattiness come out. Like it's funny being a traveler and seeing all that on the unit. That's so funny to me. Like I see a lot of jokes and memes around the internet where people talk about that and on my unit, we were all required to rotate between days and nights. So there were definitely people who preferred days or who were more senior who were on days or people who were more senior who were on nights, but the rest of us had to rotate. So there was a little bit of like a difference in the personalities, but because so many of us rotated, I think we understood both sides of it. So we didn't have it that much, but it's, it's so funny that you mentioned that because I hear that everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I think the biggest thing I would change is competition. I think competition is like the underlying root of so many problems. And I think it starts with how we even get people into school, right? Nursing schools are very competitive these days. Oh, you have to be, you know, have all these grades to get in and be, have all these extracurricular activities and do so many different things. Same thing for medical school, PA school, everyone who gets into healthcare, these are all very competitive degrees and fields to get into. So you already have people who see their coworkers as competition starting from high school. That's a really unhealthy mindset to start out in, right? And then going through school, people trying to one up each other in clinical, right? Or, um, oh, if I, I have to get the better score or I have to have these experiences and people talking about, oh, I put in a, an IV today. You haven't done that yet, right? Like, didn't you experience people yep. like that? Well, it's so crazy. Um, when really the attitude should be, I got to put in an IV. Can I help you so that you do really well on your IV, right? Like that should be the attitude is collaboration. Um, and I see this, I saw this so much in grad school um, and in nursing too, just, I think there's, you know, when we're competing with each other, we get jealous of each other. And then instead of looking for ways to make each other better, it's a race to the bottom, right? If you're trying to put people down and make them look worse and make them feel worse about themselves, you're weakening the team. Like the patient's going to ultimately suffer, right? Because if people don't want to come to you to ask questions, they don't feel confident, they're going to miss something. They're going to mess up. We should be having a race to the top of collaboration. Like we need to be lifting up the intern, the nursing student, the resident, the new grad nurse, like we need to be going out of our way to make them as good as they can be because then they'll make us better too in the long run, right? If I, I can't run a code by myself, I want everyone in that room to be excellent. They should be top notch. So, you know, competing with each other, it's just a losing race. Everybody loses. Did you get the same vibes from CRNA school too as you did, did from like nursing school for the competition? Uh, way worse than CRNA school, like a thousand times worse. You have all these really competitive ICU nurses, um, you know, CRNA school getting in is extremely competitive. And there was a lot in the beginning of people kind of like showing off like what their backgrounds were and bragging about their clinical experiences. And um, people, it, it was really funny. I always tell this story. Um, I don't have, I don't, I'm not of that mindset at all, right? I've never been that way. I've never been a competitive person. I never, I never even played sports. I'm just like, everyone, let's get along. <laughs> um, so, when I was there, one of our first exams was, it was a silly exam. It was about uh, the history of nurse anesthesia. And it, it's just abstract information that's hard to remember because it's names and dates. And like, it was really just to get us familiar with the course. And it was like one of our first exams of school. And so I made a study guide of like really funny ways to remember all the names. And I shared it with the class. People were blown away. Oh my God, why would you share this with us? Why would you want us to do well on the exam also? why can't we all get an A? Like we should all be getting A's. Like that's right. a great thing, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a really silly story, but it, it just was so funny how it just shocked people. And then the really competitive people, 
started competing to share their study guides too from then on because they wanted to look as helpful. Like they were like jealous that they weren't the helpful ones. I I think that was the worst thing when you're, when you just finished your tests in nursing school and you're just like, Oh, what'd you get? What'd you get? You know? And everybody's just kind of like, they got the better score, but they're very like, you know, kind of low key about it. And then you kind of tell them to score like, Oh, I got a, you know, 93. No shit. You know, nice to know, man. Kind of putting me down already. It's, it's kind of funny how that competition carries over. Ah, geez. I, I had a question uh, and I, <laughs> it was so good and I just blanked out on what it was because I had to tell this story because it, it upset me so much and you mentioned it that happens on the test well, CR day. Do you see, you, you saw, you said you saw that competition as well in nursing, right? How can we kind of like get away from that from like a psychological standpoint? Is it like a trauma that maybe we had as growing up or did school teach us like this mentality of competition? Because you have a lot of competition, right? You like love it. Like we just kind of like... You know, it kind of like boosts us in a way. Like we take competition and we have a positive out of it, but clearly it's a negative, uh, it has like negative reputations as well. Yeah, there's definitely such a thing as healthy competition, right? Like if you, like let's say, you know, sports are a great example of a healthy competition as long as you have a good attitude about it. But I think it really is part of our education system, this unhealthy competition where we see our classmates and our coworkers again as like a threat to us, a threat to our um, us looking good, our survival, our well-being, and I really think it, it's starting in as early as the high schools these days. Um, you know, kids are in high school. I feel like that's a time when you should just be like enjoying your life. Like, yeah, study and get good grades, but how many extracurriculars, sports, clubs, volunteering activities do these people have to be in to get into college in the first place? To pay a really exorbitant tuition, maybe that you shouldn't be paying, right? Like. Why do you need to go to that nursing school that costs $50,000 a year when you have an ADN program up the street that's entirely valid? Um, why are we kind of competing to do things that aren't necessarily good for us? Um, and then I think, again, I think we definitely see people being pit against each other in the admissions process. Um, I remember the person who was admitting me into my second degree nursing program um, and she was interviewing me. She was really nasty. And she was telling me about how oh, well, we don't normally really like students who come from um, a university like yours. I went to a small Christian college for my first degree. She's like, ooh, yeah, uh, Eastern University. Hmm. That's not a school that we really um, look at very often. It was, I, I was yeah. kind of shocked to hear that in an interview, um, just so blatantly outright, right? Um, it was a pretty nasty thing to say when my education was perfectly valid. In fact, I learned a lot. Um, so I think it really starts like as early on as, you know, the high schools and the colleges, like, why are we starting that culture so soon, um, and encouraging it? I really think that it's the job of educators to kind of encourage ways to stamp that out, especially if you see, if you're like a nursing instructor in a clinical and you see that behavior, you really need to lead by example and, and encourage the students. I think by educators being discouraging, they're just perpetuating that culture. Yeah, yeah and also it comes to it like leaders. Like, like hmm? I said, it also comes down to like leaders, like management, correct? Like that example about drama, correct? If you don't have a leader that says, "Hey, maybe you know this nurse, they should talk it out. They should tell each other the problem and see what happens," instead of like escalating right away to the manager, where you instead of telling you, Chrissy, I go tell the manager. The manager tells you. Now you feel like you kind of like you know backstab me in a little way, and that already de- develops a culture of negativity and kind of like being very quiet about things and what people talk about themselves. And that, that really upsets me. Yeah. I feel like in the United States, like, cause you mentioned schools and stuff like that here in the United States, like so your senior year of high school, you're prepping to, to, to go to college. And a lot of people want to go to these giant universities for like a, like a nursing degree. Like you said, that you can get kind of, you know, maybe a f- few blocks down with the same amount of education, but the, the cost is maybe like a, like a quarter. So there's just always like like this push to go to these prime universities, these these nationally known universities for like these, I don't want to say basic, but these like general degrees that you can kind of get anywhere. And I feel like that leads a lot of people to 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 uh, to being in debt. Yeah. So not only are you like putting yourself like behind financially, you also don't need to kind of go to that school. Some people just want to go to that school just for that recognition. Like, hey, I went to Northern University. I went to this university. And in the long run, I don't care where I went to school. 
Like the nurses on our unit, I don't know where any of them went to school. It really does not matter in yeah. nursing where you went to school, where you got your bachelor's from, because no, nobody really cares about it. And, and people think they have to go to these high acclaimed universities for, the, for their bachelor's in, in nursing, which is, is totally false. And they drown, drown themselves in debt, paying over 100K for a nursing degree, where in some states they're going to make 60K, you know, and their take home is going to be like 50. And it's going to take them years and years to pay off those loans. And it's just, I, I don't know why it's such a big like stigma associated to it to go to these giant universities. I would, I would say it's a push towards like, I don't know, when you're younger, and you know, high schools teach you, oh, you have to go to this, we have to get into this school competition, just like we just mentioned, it forces you to get out of that mentality, you know? And it always kind of puts you in that like kind of hustler mentality, always trying to like, you know, outperform people. Right. And nursing, it's nursing isn't should never be, be competitive. It's just like it should be a completely collaborative effort. Like we should all focus on getting our patient healthy and not I got my patient health healthier than you did. Like that, that doesn't make any sense on that kind of a level. I just don't get this competition a little bit sometimes. If Chris, if you were your younger self, what would you tell your younger self when it comes to maybe building the habits that you have now and you didn't know about that when you're a younger nurse? Habits. Um, I think I would have told myself to set boundaries earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, learning to set healthy boundaries with the way people speak to you. Um, even as early as nursing school, right? Like just because you're a student doesn't mean you need to accept abusive language. Um boundaries with work, right? Um, yeah, they're short nurses, but you can't always be the one to save them. Um, you know, just, I think setting healthy boundaries at an early age, I think that's really hard to do as a young person, especially people who go into a field like nursing, right? We tend to be really, really empathetic people. We tend to feel everyone else's emotions and take on other people's burdens. So setting down healthy boundaries so that you maintain you know, your own wellness, I think is key. We all talk about self-care, but really that's kind of like a, a treatment on the back end after you've already been burned out, right? It's not really a, a super effective way to prevent burnout. I think it's kind of a cop-out a lot of the times when like, you know, corporations do like, all, all oh, we're going to start providing you cookies and massage chairs. That's great. Love the cookies, love the massage chairs, but I need to be protected in the first place. So I think boundaries is like the number one thing. And I feel like it's so much harder because we learned that later on in life. And now as nurses, you get step, you get put into this pandemic and nurses are already burnt out. We're already stressful. All these things that we mentioned are already there in the workplace. Now put a new grad in there and they don't know how to set boundaries. They internalize things. Uh, we know nurses that have to step away from bedside and hospital care because they feel like they don't have enough resources. They don't feel appreciated, right? Like, remember that one uh, story that we heard that, like, the chargers didn't care about anything, alarms were going off. Mm-hmm. And, it, yeah, it just freaks out somebody, especially being so young and being so new in healthcare. And they're like, oh, my God, my license is on the line. That, this person is dying. It's my fault. What can I do differently? Like, that really plays with your psyche. Exactly. Like, setting boundaries is, is very crucial. There's, there's a nurse that, that we work with that it got to the point where the manager was thinking about... So you know how as, as, as an ICU nurse, you want to have that longevity of patient care. So you want to have the same patient, uh, like if you're doing three in a row, you want to have the same patient three times in a row, you know, for, for better better patient care because you, you have the continuity of care. It got to the point where these nurses were getting so attached to these patients where the manager was thinking about not giving the same assignments to, this, to the same nurses yeah. two or three days in a row because they were so emotionally invested in, in, the, in these patients. Like that's, wow. that's how bad it could get. That's how bad it got on our unit at one point. And just setting boundaries is just is just so important to our lives because if you keep taking home the things you do at work, you're never going to be happy in your life. You're always going to be depressed because as ICU nurses, we we deal with you know unfortunate the, the dying and the very sick people, and a lot of our shifts aren't very joyful. Yeah, yeah. it's been, it's been rough. Mm-hmm. So so you say that to set boundaries, correct? So me being a new grad, how do I exactly do that? Or somebody that's listening, how do I set these healthy boundaries for myself? That's so hard. I mean, I think it depends on what we're talking about, right? So when it comes to how other people speak to you, let's say, let's say there's a coworker who just really is talking nasty to you that day or whatever it may be. Um, I think the best thing you can do is like practice at home, modeling how to speak up to people in those situations. It sounds really silly, but having kind of like a script ahead of time can help you in the moment, stay calm and just, um, you know, be able to respond appropriately. So for example, if someone is 
telling me, oh, I'm so dumb. How did I not know this? Or telling me like, you know, don't do this in the future, whatever it may be. Let's say I made a mistake, a simple mistake. Um, you know, recognizing what that person is saying. I understand, you know, that I did whatever wrong. I programmed the pump wrong, right? Um, I recognize that you're trying to teach me a crucial point for patient safety. In the future, I will not repeat that. I'm going to read up on it tonight, right? That little like sandwich. I understand what you're saying. I recognize the intent behind what you're doing. And here's my plan for the future. And I think that typically diffuses issues. If someone continues to abuse you further, it's okay to set the boundary down and just say, you know what? I'm really not going to tolerate being spoken like that. We can talk later. And that's it. You don't have to answer, you don't have to say anything else. I will not tolerate being spoken to like that. That's a really healthy thing you can do. That's, um, that, that's a very good one. Yeah. And same and thing it, with like being called in all the time, right? If you can't go in, just say no. You don't have to give an explanation. Sorry, I can't today. That's it. You don't have to get it, give an excuse. I feel like it's also harder with speaking out for yourself with this whole cancer culture that we see right now in America. Oh, yeah. Like if you say something that doesn't go along with, you know, the mainstream media, you get basically looked at, correct? Yeah, and you get almost like medical bullying, correct? One of the examples were uh, the whole vaccine issue, correct? Like maybe there were some nurses that didn't want to take one and they rather wait. Uh, we know people that just felt bullied into just taking it just because they had to because everybody else did. And that should be never a decision uh, to take a vaccine. It should be just based on your own health, not an obligation because you feel the pressure from society or from a group of friends or coworkers in this case. Right. That's really hard. Yeah, that's one of those strange ethical dilemmas, right? Because as healthcare workers, we just so want to like protect each other, protect our patients, set an example, quote unquote. But at the end of the day, everyone still has bodily autonomy, right? Like mm -hmm. what if someone was pressuring you into taking a pill? That that would be crazy. So you're right. It's really tough. We have to just respect each other. Sometimes people won't agree with you mm -hmm. and we can't just cancel everyone or bully them into believing what we believe. It's absolutely unhealthy. Agreed, 100%. What do you like doing in your free time outside of nursing and how do you de-stress? Oh man, you know, this year really took away a lot of my fun things, um, which was, it was a bummer. I used to love going salsa dancing. Obviously that's like not an option right now. Um, I started getting into TikTok. <laughs> it's like an outlet. Um, so creating on social media was a lot of fun for me. But And I found a really great community where I got to know a lot of amazing people and found ways to connect with people virtually. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that kind of turned into a job too, right? Um, so now I'm trying to get back into like some of my other hobbies that don't require in-person socialization. I love to cook. I cook plant-based recipes. I like to create new recipes. I like to experiment in the kitchen. Um, so that's like, my one safe, only for me hobby. So if you cook a lot of plant-based uh, like uh, things and desserts, are you vegan or anything like that? Or do you follow like uh, some kind of a diet? I call I, I like to say I'm on the vegan spectrum um, because veganism is so much more than just a diet, right? It's a whole lifestyle. So it means you never have any like animal products at all um, as much as it's humanly possible, right? Because you know, there's always some degree of animal involvement in certain things. Um, and I try to do that as best I can, but I'm going to be honest. I'm not perfect. Like when I go on vacation or if I'm at someone's house and there's nothing really to eat except for something with dairy, um, or even occasionally like fish, like shellfish, for example, um, I'll definitely cheat and eat it. Um, but not at home at home. We're definitely vegan. Um, so I, I can't call myself vegan. So I say plant based cause it's more, it, it encompasses it a little bit more accurately. Yeah. When did you start being plant-based and, and why with the with the switch? Because Matt and I, we've we've tried being vegan. This was like four years ago. Yeah, like 2016. Yeah, 2016. B before there was a lot of vegan options out there. Like now yeah. you go go to any kind of store and you have, you can go ahead and get anything plant-based. Back when we tried being vegan, there was nothing plant-based. The majority of our diet consisted of, consisted of Oreos and we gained a bunch of weight. Yeah. But what, what did you, or why did you switch over to being uh, more plant-based? You know, it's funny. My parents actually started it. They watched that documentary Forks Over Knives and I had already seen Food Inc. And my parents got into being plant-based for a little bit. They quit pretty early on, but I was like, if my dad can do it, the man who lives off of meatballs and cheese and, <laughs> you know, like I was like, if my dad can do it, I can do it. Um, so, and I love to cook. I love to cook. So I, I thought it was fun. So, you know, instead of jumping all in, I was like, that's going to be too hard for me. I'm just going to start cooking like one meal a week 
Philadelphia is a great city for vegan food. Lots of vegan options at like almost every restaurant. So it was like, when I'm out, I'll get the vegan option. So it started with just like one or two vegan meals a week. And then the better I got at making recipes, I was like, okay, now I found food I like. I just kind of kept going from there. And one day I tried meat uh, at my wedding. I had the meat that was served at my wedding. I hadn't had meat in like a year and I hated it. <laughs> I was like, oh, this tastes weird now. Like it didn't taste the same to me. My taste buds had changed. So I was like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm there. I guess I've arrived. It's awesome that your parents or your dad in this case motivate you to do that. Cause for us it's the exact opposite. We come from a Polish culture and you know, like on Sundays when you have like dinner, you get left out. Like, you know, you, you can't have this chicken or this, this meat dishes that they make and you're just kind of like hanging out on your own and, you know, picking your vegetables and potatoes or whatever. Yeah, well, it was, now it was they're rough. back to eating meat, so I don't know, but. <laughs> yeah, we're back to eating, eating yeah. meat too. Like I tried actually the, the carnivore diet like last month for like a week and, and it, was, it, was, it was tough. And Matt and I, we mostly keto based, so our, our diet does consist largely of, of yeah. meat. Vegetable hit for hit vegetables. I have like a, I do like a carnivore slash keto hybrid kind of thing. Oh man, I think I'd have a hard time with carnivore. That one's tough. Really? Yeah, it was it was, it was pretty tough. Low, low key, like it was fine, but like I had like the worst GI symptoms ever. Like I had diarrhea all the fucking time. It was horrible. I, I, I had to stop. It was, I was like, I can't do this. I can't live like yeah, this. Your gut microbe is reprogramming, yeah, man. Yeah. How is it being a CRNA nowadays? With you know pandemic and then slowly things opening back up correct so i'm sure you guys had like a little slow moment in surgeries uh yeah it was kind of crazy so you know philly didn't get hit quite as hard as new york but we had a surge that trailed them by about like two weeks i'd say um and fortunately because we had that like two to three week gap of like lag and uh our numbers going up i think our city was able to get kind of on top of capping it off a little bit quicker um so it was, it was nuts. You know, when you're in anesthesia, you're right up in the patient's airway. So everything we do aerosolizes, um, you know, viruses. And so, you know, you're intubating COVID patients, right? You're putting breathing tubes in them and you're creating a plume of aerosols that study show can last in the air for what, three hours. That's pretty scary stuff. Um, and the data that was coming out of Italy and China was saying like all these anesthesiologists and dentists and ENT surgeons, they were all dying because they were in patients' airways before they understood what the virus was. So um, that was kind of scary. And then, of course, we had like the PPE crisis, right? So thankfully, my job, um, we had a pile of N95s, but we were reprocessing them and reusing them for a while. Um, we just went back to normal stock this week, which was awesome. Um, we did have to cut down elective surgeries at one point. So we were all taking turns being on airway call where we would go and put breathing tubes in patients around the hospital, lots of COVID patients, um, regular call where we do emergency surgeries and traumas. A lot of our trauma patients came in with COVID. We, um, had to treat everyone as though they had it until we found out otherwise. And I would say, I, I don't know what the percentage was, maybe at 25% or half of the traumas would come in, would end up being COVID positive. Um, and then they redeployed us to the ICUs. So we're helping the respiratory therapists because we're stretched thin, right? Everybody was on a ventilator, not enough respiratory therapists. So they cross-trained us to be respiratory therapists. So we were managing the vents. Um, so again, a lot of time in COVID rooms, um, people's airways. So it was kind of crazy. But, um, you know, I was really amazed by the ICU nurses who were handling it. I felt like everyone in the hospital is working so hard, but they were spending the most time like one-on-one -on -one in these rooms and doing like the really hard backbreaking labor and just not complaining. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. It's, it's tough for nurses. Like looking at my, my last shift uh, yesterday and how like 60 people are and it's, it's tough work because you, you got to prone these people sometimes. You know? Proning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hard. Then, yeah. And then you got, you know, put them in this position every, every couple hours, you got to rotate the head and, and actually a, Last night, when I, or two, two days ago, when I was at work, you know, I had a pro patient and I was, you know, repositioning them and I actually turned their head and I dislodged the, the ET tube. So they ended up descending to the 50s, <laughs> you know, and then everybody, everybody had to come intensivist right in here. Had a, they're like a, a, we had a supine her that we bronked her, you know, the respiratory therapist came and we had adjusted tube and then I had a supine her again. And, and he, that was like, that was literally a back breaking labor. The lady weighed our person weighed a 108 kilos, so she's so she's heavy. There was like four or five of us in the, in the room trying to prone her, and that, it's just like a mess, and it just adds so much stress. And then for that two to three hour period of of, of us trying to stabilize that patient, 
my other patient got completely neglected. You know, it's like almost like that patient didn't exist. Like they were stable. They're kind of ready for, for transfer for the most part, but still that three hours was just devoted to one patient and whatever that patient, my other patient needed for that, like the time, it's just the needs have not been met. It just shows you how stressful and how tough the ICU can be. So scary. Yeah. yeah. You know, that feeling in nursing where every single shift you go into work, just not knowing what to expect. I used to be okay with that feeling. That's just like, oh, okay, it's just part of nursing. You know, I'll get what I have these, you know, this night and I'll make it through. But now it almost seems like it's unbearable. Like, it's just like, damn, I'm probably gonna have a, you know, bad shift. Like it's, you're almost like predicting what's going to happen. Cause it's just, it's just bad, man. Just lack of resources. And uh, these intensivists are kind of struggling too, you know, they don't have time yeah. to do proper care. or Maybe they're missing orders or they miss some labs and you miss it too. And then you're kind of like, you know, chasing things back, mm -hmm. like, you know, like a high K or something, or just like um, having a Bumex drip that's running too long. And then you're freaking chasing 120 a K and then your right. patient goes into a, you know, a junction or rhythm next shift because they just loaded him on K, right? Like that one situation. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah that was a tight situation. Especially as like a new grad, when you're a new grad and it's, you finish orientation, you're like, yeah, finally nursing by myself. And like Matt said before, it takes like three years for you to get comfortable. But within that three years, if you if you have that like a bad shift and you're a night shift, like your thoughts linger around work. There's been so many times where I've had a bad shift at work and then the next day, or like I had a bad shift at work, I'm off for a few days. And then the day that I go back to work at 7 p.m., I'm thinking about that shift all day. Like it's on my mind. It's like, what's gonna happen this time? What's gonna go wrong? You know, and you're stressed for literally that whole day before you even enter enter to work. I'm, I'm sure you've you've had that those feelings as well. How did you kind of deal with those feelings? That those feelings of of I'm not sure what to expect at work and it's stressing me out. Yeah, I would just label it as dread. I used to dread going in. I'd be nauseous on my way in the mornings. Oh, I remember that feeling. It was so tough. It did get better with time. How did I deal with it? I feel like you know what? I really wish that I dealt with it differently. I feel like I did a lot of just. I'd go home and I would talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and just like try to process. And I feel like it wasn't effective. I wish I had just gone to a therapist, honestly. I feel like had I just found a better way to process it and cope with it, I could have made my suffering so much better. <laughs> like, mm. Shorten the duration of that time period that I suffered and eased my mm. own suffering. I think once I learned and truly stopped learning, stopped internalizing, right? You can only control so much. Like these people are very sick and what's happening in their bodies is not your fault. And all we can do is assess them, monitor them and give the appropriate interventions, right? So you're looking for changes. You're trying to catch things early. And when something bad pops up, it doesn't mean you missed it. Sometimes that person's just very sick. And, you know, if they weren't in your care, they would have been dead a long time ago. So that is something that like once it clicked with me, like without everything I've done, they would have already been dead. With everything I've done, they're already better off. All you can do is what's in your control and in your power. So I think once I truly believed that and it clicked, it really cut down on the dread. Um, but I wish I learned it sooner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think like that's what's so amazing about social media and uh, like, you know, people like us and you and everybody like we're slowly forming these communities of nurses and we're like learning to be more conscious and taking care of ourselves and stuff like that because you know we didn't sign up for this did did you know this is the, the feelings of nursing school you know like no, no one told you told us about this like mm. i didn't sign up for this i really did it i didn't expect nursing to be the way it is and i'm going i'm getting through it it's great i enjoy everything i do i have great um what do i have i don't know what do you have matthew i'm trying try to like think of the word you know i i I love nursing for what it is, but is it my beyond all? You know, no. Yeah, you know? Is, is nursing what we thought it was was going to be? Absolutely not. Absolutely, absolutely not. Like me picturing a nurse when I first started nursing school is not what I currently do do right now. Maybe like twenty percent of it is. So how how has like your viewpoint of nursing or thoughts on nursing changed compared to what they are now compared to how they were when you first started school? Oh my gosh, I feel like I didn't truly understand the role of a nurse. Yeah. Honestly, I mean. The nurses I had been, there's no examples of nurses on television. Like you can't convince me that any show on TV accurately represents nursing at all whatsoever. Right. Um, I feel like there was background characters or just like the nice, the nice nurse. Right. Um, when I was in school, I think it took me a full, that whole program to really figure out like, what the hell is my job? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, 
what is my goal here? Um, I think nurses are the eyes, ears, hands, and feet. I think it's shocking. It's shocking to me how much nurses do. You really are the person who is seeing everything, listening to the patient, communicating with every member of the team, right? So not just doctors. Everyone thinks it's like, oh, nurses and doctors, social work, the chaplain, respiratory therapy, physical therapy, the family. You're literally like the the spoke of the the spoke of the wheel, the hub of the wheel, right? And you have to connect with all the other spokes. And it just shocked me, I think. I, I don't know. I really had no clue. I, I really cool. like that analogy, right? The hub. And and that's like the worst part of all this is that you know, like 2020 was like the year of the nurse in a way, and we've seen everything the way we're struggling. And if you look at it, like how has things changed for us as nurses from like a standpoint of way, the way healthcare administrations handled us or government, like nothing was really changed much. We're still doing more with less. And we just got fed some food. We got a nice pin, frontline you know, workers, and that, that's really it. And that's what bothers me is that we need like real change being implemented in nursing because we're, we're suffering, you know? There's times that I, that I think with this whole pandemic is this is just a whole giant conspiracy on how far we can push nurses to see how much they could do with the least amount of, of support. So I feel like sometimes, you know, and it's, it's should how this we're should stretched. be, how nursing should be, and I shouldn't be having this, this outlook, you know? But if you could offer advice to to any to nurses out there or CRNAs, like what's one piece of advice you'd, you'd give them? If someone's going through CRNA school or, or struggling as a nurse, what can you offer to them? I'd say reach out for help. And mm-hmm. I mean, and not only, you know, with people who are your colleagues, your classmates, like, yes, you should form a community of trusted people, but looking for mentors who are further along in the field than you, um, don't be afraid to ask like an older nurse to be your mentor um, or a professor or, you know, someone on the internet. Um, and then, of course, you know, back to the boundaries. And, you know, going back to what you mentioned about stretching nurses thin, and I really think that another huge form of boundaries that we need to advocate for is the Safe Nurse to Patient Ratio Act, really. We need to really, really, really rail for that nationally. I think that's the only solution for protecting each other. 100%. Mm-hmm. That's something we've been talking about for a very long time. We're just like, how can we do this? How can we implement it? So there's a bill. There's a bill. If you go to nationalnursesunited.org, they have a proposed bill in the Senate and the House. They try for this every year. And you can write letters to your Congress people and your senators. And they have like a pre-written form for you already. You just have to fill it out. So nationalnursesunited.org and um, you can try to get support for that. Now, I know you're already in California. I know you guys are already, you know, you already have those ratios. Um, and you already have a nursing union, but, and you still are experiencing trouble with COVID, which is awful. Uh, but don't let them, you know, keep you out of ratio when this is all over. Like nurses really, you know, if you're in a hospital, that's really abusing you. It's okay. Unionizing is within your legal right. And people really forget that. Um, and they're afraid to talk about it. It's a really taboo subject. People are afraid of losing their jobs if they talk about unionizing. Um, so fighting for national nurse to patient ratios and, you know, maybe it's time to look into really coming together and protecting each other. And, and that's why I mentioned that, you know, we're, we're developing and building those communities because eventually we'll have that power to come together. And it's not necessarily striking that we're going to walk out of the hospitals, but it's just us coming together as a community and, you know, letting government know that, hey, it's about time we have some real change implemented. Right. right. Because anywhere else, like. You know, 9-11 happened, things were implemented, different things, different chain of events that happened. There was implementation by the government that helped out. Pandemic happened, and, you know, nurses are kind of dealing with the same issues. Yeah. Just like I mentioned before, more with less. Yeah, and there hasn't been any talks of improvement or, any, or anything like that. It's just like, all right, we're in a pandemic, we're in a crisis, so you're expected to, all this, to do all this extra work. And thank you. Thank you for doing all this extra work. Here's some food. Yeah. But there's really nothing being spoken about what's going to happen long-term wise after after the pandemic rolls rolls out right no one's really really talking about that and unfortunately no one's talking about it because it's going to cost them more money and nobody wants to address that issue if it's going to cost them more money exactly just like um in illinois they try to pass the ratio and i think the american hospital association because there's obviously money being lobbied right 
they basically said we can't afford this bill because the hospitals can't afford more nurses. Not true, though. It's so not true. Yeah, oh, that's the biggest lie that they say. And and then they play on nurses' empathy, right? Because right. nurses say, oh, gosh, I'm going to bankrupt my hospital. My community won't get care. Oh, I'll just suck it up a little longer. Mm. It's so not true. It's absolutely not true. Every other developed nation in the world has appropriate ratios. California has appropriate ratios. None of them have gone bankrupt. They are doing just fine. So, um, yeah, don't let them gaslight you, man. That's cool. Yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. So, so Chrissy, where can people find you at? You, you're very popular on TikTok. I've, I've been told you have an amazing Instagram. Where can people find you at? So, yes, I'm on TikTok. It's Chrissy, C-R-N-A, C-H-R-I-S-S-Y, C-R-N-A. Uh, my Instagram handle is also Chrissy CRNA. Um, and yeah, those are like my two main platforms right now. You might find me popping in and out of Clubhouse occasionally if you're on Clubhouse yet. But uh, that, that's it. Those are the two primary for now. Damn, she's on Clubhouse. We got to hop on it. We, we've been <laughs> talking about Clubhouse. it. Oh, we could have a lot of good conversations on Clubhouse. <laughs> is, is that how that works? I'm completely delusional about what's going on in Clubhouse. I was supposed to do my research like this weekend and finally we're supposed to make an account and start promoting on there. You don't need to even research it. Just sign up. Um, it's it's so interesting. It's like just live conversation, live podcasting, essentially, right? So you mm. pop, you can create your own rooms and um, invite people to come in, and you moderate and you have conversations with people in the audience with each other, um, and or you can just join rooms, you just pop in and out and learn from different people. So I just sometimes I join rooms for things I know nothing about: business, entrepreneurship. I don't know anything about that. Um, and sometimes I'm in healthcare, uh, rooms. There's a really interesting COVID room going on right now where I'm always learning new things, um, about patient care. Um, and it's really great. So definitely look into it. Clubhouse. Like, like popping in and out of rooms. Is it like a uh, chat roulette or, or a Meagle kind of stuff? No, kind man, of it's, like, it's like AOL, bro. <laughs> you know? Describe it. Oh, that's actually kind of funny. Imagine if it like nursing <laughs> Meagle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, uh, so it's. They call it like your hallway and then there's rooms in the hallway. So when you open up the platform, it'll ask you what you're interested in and you'll see conversations suggested to you as you scroll down. So you'll see, oh, this is a room and um, and there's no video, there's no images. You just have your profile picture and it's audio only. Mm-hmm. There's no DMing feature right now. Um, so there's moderators at the top who've opened the room together. So it's like right now you guys are essentially moderators and um and I would be a speaker. And then the people listening are the audience and the moderators can invite audience members to come up. Audience members can raise their hands and ask to come up to the stage and speak and ask questions and you can answer them. And, you know, you could always move them back to the audience if there's, you know, a lot of people that want to go and, and talk to each other. So it's cool. It's a live conversation with people from around the world. It's pretty neat. That's interesting. I, I think you sold us on it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's right up your lane. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Chris. Hope you have a great day. Chat soon. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. It's listening, guys, and uh, Twitch. Thank you so much. See you guys next Friday. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye bye.